This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, joined today by Joe Thomas and Chris Beasley. As we look back on Everton's disappointing 2-0 defeat at the hands of Liverpool in Monday's Merseyside derby, we'll look back on the game around field, we're all wrong for the Blues, and where Sean's Aisha side go next as they face a huge relegation six-point at home to Leeds United at Goodison Park on Saturday. But actually, both around field last night to witness Everton's latest setback in the Premier League. Joe, start with you. Plenty of optimism going into the game, hopes behind, but they were quickly dashed. Plenty of optimism going into the game. Not much coming out of it, I think, is the sad answer. I think even with the optimism going into the game, I think a lot of that was noise. It was probably coming from outside the Everton bubble rather than coming from internally. You know, we, we spoke about this at the back end of last week. You know, it felt like for a, for a full week, for a full seven, eight days, had constantly had Liverpool fans come say, oh, this is going to be the one. Everton, you know, Liverpool are so bad, their form's so bad, that you know, struggling midfield, they've got so many injuries, they're getting, basically crying in early doors and just met everybody who would say that, was saying, look, every struggle has its context, there's a hell of a big difference between Liverpool's drop-off to, to go to mid-table and all right, you could argue Everton's drop-off isn't as significant because they're in this mess last season as well, but, you know, Everton are a mess. Sean Dyche has inherited none of it's his fault. Not all of it was Lampard's fault, but there, there is a mess. And we had a, a a brutal reminder of that last night, I think. I think, there, I think there was an opportunity to go around field and get a positive result. Um, you know, it, there was there was genuinely re- more reason to be positive than perhaps in, in, in many of, of recent years. But what we saw last night was the Everton, uh, for those of us who've been watching all season, have unfortunately come to know and expect all the positives that we saw in the Everton performance against Arsenal a week earlier were largely gone. And, you know, if anything, it's a performance that whilst it's, you know, there are a couple of things that have to be said. One is that we all would have taken three points from, from these two games. We'd have taken, I'd have taken two points um, from these two games. Uh, so to come away with three that has to be seen as a positive in the round. And it also has to be said that, you know, survival won't be dependent on nights like last night. It won't be dependent on what happens at Anfield and the Emirates and Stamford Bridge and places like that. They will have an, an impact under no circumstance we count these as three hits. And part of the reason seems like Leeds and Forest are ahead of those and it's because they've managed to beat Liverpool, which obviously, you know, Evan haven't, haven't managed to do. But really... What happens to Evan's season will depend on Leeds at home on Saturday, Villa the following week, Forest away after that, Brentford at home. But for all that being said, last night was was still incredibly disappointed. I think one of the things that worried me most, and I think this might be what would worry Sean Dyche privately the most, is that we know there's a gulf in ability between the two sides. What there shouldn't be is is a gulf in, in fight and spirit. And Evan didn't really lay a glove on it on Liverpool last night, and 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 that concerns me. He's you know somewhat as a a seasoned veteran when it comes to Merseyside derby. He's never gone across Stony Park, Tottenham Fields. Unfortunately, you've witnessed more defeats than you've seen victories. So 
I think the big thing from last night was that no one connected to Everton was surprised with how things panned out in the end. Yeah, as, as Joe said, um, <clears throat> a, a, a large degree of, as the phrase he used correctly, the cry ahead from Liverpool. I mean, I mean, it's it staggers me when I when I hear. I mean, even Alan Hansen used to say it years ago. I hate playing in derbies. I hate their side derbies. He used to say. And okay, back then Everton and even go through to the nineties would quite often give Liverpool um, a bloody nose. But you know, the last two decades, it's been one of those most one-sided fixtures there in, in the Premier League. So for for Reds to be saying, "Oh, um, now going to have a better chance to beat us," and uh, all this, you've got to remember, it's only a couple of years ago, so that are basically a Liverpool second string but beating Everton first choice side in, in the FA Cup. So. Over the years, there have been many different creative ways that Everton have, have, have managed to lose to Liverpool, but very painful ways. But as, as Joe said, what really sort of hurt last night is it just ended up being a, a routine victory for a very ordinary Liverpool um, side. And they, they were their fans were leaving the ground happy again and saying this is more like the, the old Liverpool. But like Joe said, that actual phrase didn't lay um, a glove on them. You expect at differential in, in quality. Is it a team in Liverpool who not that long ago were winning everything? You know, uh, they've not fallen that bad. They're obviously having a poor season for their standards, but you know, still got all that quality. Was well, the fact that Everton didn't go down fighting as Joe said, didn't like put a glove on them at, at all. I mean, it was epitomised for me by that ridiculous pantomime at the end of um, the the handbags. You know, Ro- you know Robson was, was petulant. Um, Pickford um, came steaming in. Everyone had to go in there. And it's almost like this attempt that, oh, well, we'll show what we care. We show that we've got a bit of fight. But we've shown a bit more fight in the football than uh, just pushing and shoving towards the end. But I think neither side sort of covered themselves in glory in that respect. And that was the concern, as Joe said. It was, was last weekend against Arsenal the exception to the norm? We were hoping that that would be the start of something new for Everton. And Okay, they're not going to go from a team in the relegation zone to being world beaters overnight, but at least in defeat, you can accept defeat in these fixtures as much as it might be painful. You don't accept just going out with a winter that the way they did. I think, um, I think that's kind of almost my my biggest fear coming away from last night is that what what we've seen from this side so far. If you look at the Punks World Cup performances, the, the best performances have been Man City away, Man United away. And Arsenal and Man City away, it felt like the players were fighting for Lampard. And Man United away, just after Brighton, it felt again like the players were just fighting for Lampard. And then the games after that, it all just sucked out. And then had the humiliation against Brighton, Brighton after which Lampard probably should have gone. And then it's like they had one more go at trying to fight for him. They just didn't have in the tank to then do it against Southampton and to do it against um, West Ham as well. And, and my fear is that what we have is is a group of players that can almost perform and, and show that level of fight. They can switch it on for the occasions when it matters to them most out of self-interest almost. When they've got a manager that they perhaps like on the brink or when they've got a new manager and they know they need to impress him and they know they need, you know, all of a sudden you have players that are playing for contracts again and things like that. They can show the fight, but well, then what they can't do is they can't maintain that week in, week out. 
I think that's going to be the really interesting thing against Leeds on Saturday because Everton can't afford to not show fight in that game. Are we just seeing a side that can only be up for it when it matters on the odd occasion rather than a side that Dyche can get ready to go and instill that fight and confidence into them? Because if he can't get that out of the players on a consistent basis and they're down because they haven't got the ability to guarantee their survival, they have, they've got the fan base behind them there's a powerful tool. They've got enough ability to be competitive if it's harnessed in the right way. But there's no way to ever go out of this unless they're willing to fight for it. And you've got a group of players that's not willing to fight in a Merseyside derby. I don't care what the situation is. It could be a mid-table dead rubber. It, could be a, it would never happen, but it could be a pre-season friendly. There should be no occasion when a group of Evan players are willing to put everything on the line in a Merseyside derby. You didn't see that last night. Hopefully it was just... I don't know, a hangover from a difficult first fortnight of Sean Dyche or maybe, you know, they, they just didn't have the best start and then they didn't grow into it and things just didn't click for them. But last last night was was, was, a, was a worry and I think, obviously, we all know that Leeds is a must-not-lose game. Probably the first must-not-lose game of the season. Now, a couple of ones where they could have done with a win, you know, especially at the beginning of the season when Lampard went so long without a victory. But this is certainly a must-not-lose and they got to be willing to fight for it because Leeds are showing fight even when they've got their manager at the moment. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Do you think one of the most disappointing things last night, though, you know the talent, you know, in the disposal, you know, that they were easy last night by the return of Johnson and Firmino, but the way in the manner in which Evan has eaten them two goals was really, really poor, wasn't it? They were, they were goals that could have easily been prevented. Was soft, wasn't it? It was very soft, and uh, positionally, I don't know what was going on. It was a real mess. I mean, again, like I said, the attacking uh, talent that Liverpool got, they can hit you on the break like that, but yeah, his goal in 13 seconds was it, something like that, between Jim Sarkowski's header hitting the post and then the ball in the middle end. But it's just the way it, it, it panned out. Yeah, they've got great players on the on on the um, on the break with that that pace and the way they can open you up. But um, Vitaly Mikhelenko, left back, finds himself in the, mid- in the middle of the pitch. It's something Michael Ball was discussing in his column for later. That he goes out, he goes towards the ball, leaves those players over the shoulder. And Jordan Pickford, as much as I'd love him to sign that new contract and remain at Everton for many more years to come, you know, he, despite what some people say, you know, he's undisputed England number one, was also been excellent for Everton. But another moment at Anfield for him, another. Bizarre lapse in concentration. Of course, it's not in the same league as this divocary night, but nobody seems to know <clears throat> what Jordan was thinking in terms of his positioning for that. And that was he looking over his shoulder for the um, who was behind him, anticipating the cross, trying to second guess what was going on, but rudely out of position for that goal and um, an easy tapping for for Salah. He just didn't, you know, make him work for it. And the second, while a uh, loses it, Joe was saying he thought maybe. Could have a free kick, but obviously you placed it away so regardless. And then uh, Seamus Coleman couldn't get near. I think was was it Robertson, and then it ends up on the right hand side. Uh, Michalenko again involved, and he's won the back post. And yet another player in need of a pick me up, whether it's a team or an individual need of a pick me up. Cody Gapo, who'd, who'd moved to Liverpool after the World Cup and January transfer window, you know he hadn't hit the um, ground running. It's a tough start to life in England, but there you go, Cody. Here's your best goal in, in English. Joe, we are going to come on to, you know, Everton's attacking options or, or lack of them at the minute. But is one of the big worries that last night we saw a defence that 
looks like it's crumbling a little bit because the start of the season, so much have made of how solid Everton were. You know, they, they couldn't score goals, but they were keeping them out. You know, the, the stats were really high. But, you know, except with the exception of the Arsenal game, since the turn, you know, since football returned after the World Cup on Boxing Day, Everton's back four have looked flaky at best of times. I think it's definitely a problem with the full-backs. I think, I think both of them are having their own struggles. Although, I do think that, you know, their, their weaknesses or any weakness they have out wide is always going to be exposed or, you know, targeted by Liverpool. And your strength comes from out wide, not just in, you know, the strength and the ability of the likes of Salah, you know, one of the best players in the world, Darwin Nunes, who... Whilst his goal scoring ability is questionable, is clearly a massive nuisance and just causes havoc for defences. Yeah, you know, when you when you complement that with the fullbacks that the Liverpool have got in Robertson and Trent Alexander Arnold, was always going to be a difficult night for Coleman and Mikalenko. And we saw that, you know, Iwobi and and McNeil, the wide players who are so crucial to helping Everton advance up the pitch against Arsenal, were just pinned back. And as a result, you just end up with with Ellis Sims up top by himself and Obviously, we'll come on to Ellis Sims, but basically have an impossible task. So, you know, in Everton, as a result of that, we're just 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 stuck in their own half on the edge of their own box for most of the first most of the opening half an hour, and then they've just started to get into it a little bit more. Just when, when the goal then then came in and undermined the rest of their efforts, I think it's almost I'm less bothered about the defence as, as the unit itself, and more the whole Everton machine as a defensive unit and how it interacts with each other. Uh, you know, I think because what we saw yesterday were, you know, the goals and the threat came from counter-attacks. You know, I'm not saying that Everton were comfortable when it was all in front of them, but when they were defending as a as a team, and it was obvious what they were doing, you know, we know that this is a defence that if you force the other team out wide, it can deal with crosses into the box. You know, one thing Everton don't have is a lack of players that are willing to put their bodies on the line to block a shot. But the problem is when, and, and this was a huge problem under Lampard, is 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 when Everton tried to push forward, if they then lose the ball, they, they just become a mess. And that's what happened last night at both the goals and could have happened for, for other goals. Sorry, for, for other attacks, rather with several other opportunities for the ball to score on the counter. And I just, it's that it's that unit as a whole. It's how the defence interact with Guy and how they interact with Bernardo in front of them and you know, it crumbled, and, and and I think almost what was what was most frustrating um, last night was was a lack of savviness and awareness. Yeah, there is wherever we think of their ability, there's a lot of experience in Idrissa Gay. There's a lot of experience in Abdullah Dakora. They've both been around playing in top flights of competitive leagues for you know for, for a decade each, probably now. None of them have the wherewithal just to take a to take a book in, you know. Like I mean, how like we we saw it with uh, notable for for the second goal where Robertson just you know he rode a few challenges. I thought Batchetics might have might have failed a Wobi on the touchline, but there were so many more things that had to happen for for Liverpool to score from that. Yeah, we saw it in the first game on the day. So there was a time when Everton were one 0 up and and Mikalenko just took out Saka, and it's horrible. You don't want you know the the bad sportsmanship, I think sometimes you just got to do it. If you're a team in Ellen, you've got to take the bucket. And we see that in most successful sides. They have an awareness of the wider game around them and what's going on. And sometimes you just need to put that foul in. I mean, no one took Robertson out. Just, just do it. There was no one there willing to kind of, 
not only were that was there a lack of positional awareness to prevent Liverpool from having such the opportunity in the first place, there was then a lack of almost football and now some intelligence to go, well, Everton are exponents here. I should take the book in and, you know, we, we see what's happened. So, you know, I think changes need to be made to the back four. Um, the, the difficulty that Everton are going to have, I think, is that changes... Dominic Calvert-Lewin isn't going to be a feature of this attack or a consistent feature of the attack. Then Everton will probably have to make changes up top as well. And and the, and the question is, what you know, how do you then begin to manage that? How do you make Everton a greater threat going forward without undermining what is already a defensive unit that certainly struggles in transition? It's going to be a big challenge for Dyche. Bees and Tim, you know, Joe touched on it there. You know, a lot of fans on social media and the fans afterwards were all saying the same thing over and why didn't Everton twice just foul the Liverpool plays? But again, it feels like we're in the same position of, you know, poor decision making, you know, mismanagement and Everton paying the price. Well, unfortunately, a couple of times they just weren't quick enough. They just didn't get near and that was the problem. Maybe it wasn't for lack of trying. They just couldn't get there. But yeah, it's about, as Joe says, game. Game management is ironic, really, because... Uh, but it always feels like the tournament yeah. Everton's poor game management. Yeah, yeah. Very rarely we ever praise Everton for good game management. Very damaged, unfortunately. Um, just what, what goes through these players' heads or, or not. I mean, we're all laymen. As much as we were passionate about football, we're all laymen. But Michael Ball, who's obviously played the game at the highest level, international as well, Premier League for many years, so speak to him on a regular basis, as you do yourself. And he says the same thing, you know. He's he played left back like Wickelenko, and he's and he's and he's written. I won't say scathing because you know he always tries to give constructive criticism and be as positive as he as he can be. But yeah, that is one of the things that Michael often speaks to us about. Um, this lack of game management, it it, it, it it's really damned. And then like saying that, where we were sat in the press box, I was next to the the end, next to our former. Echo colleague uh, Neil Neil Jones and uh, lot of the the home fans were coming over and speak to Neil. I don't believe that's what they do on a regular basis because he sits on the end and it. You know, it was all oh Sean, you know Everton this, Everton that. Oh, they're going to be even worse now. The Sean Dice basically making out that Everton's going to be nasty. Everton going to be attritional. And I think that, you know you were wishing that they were a bit nasty as, as they were being portrayed. Everyone gets, sees the game through their old prism and it's very much coloured by their allegiances. I think Liverpool fans were surprised at just how easy it was in the end. It wasn't just crying it in like we talked about how they thought that uh, Everton were going to play. No, Everton should, like I said, even if Everton lost the game, but at least go down fighting. And, and they did, and that was the problem. I think Liverpool were a bit surprised at how bad Everton were and that, how little fight Everton actually showed. So uh, Sean Dyche might say something publicly in what he's going to say, and obviously he's going to keep things positive as he can when speaking to reporters. But I just wonder, you know, behind closed doors at finish round what he really thought of that performance because I can't imagine he was very pleased and it was very un-Sean Dyche-like if, if that's what we, you know, let's believe sort of the, the values that he, that he holds dear. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Me and Chris were lucky enough to be there, right? Regardless of how I'm going to do it, it's obviously a massive privilege to be able to be there at nights like that and, and to watch the football. Got a really interesting your opinion, obviously watching it on TV. Like, how did it how did it look on TV? What 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 were you sat there watching? What were the what stood out for you? I think obviously I was back in Echo Office, you know, watching from afar essentially. 
But I think that the big thing for me was it was all Everton's problems that we've seen all season late there. They can't keep the ball. They struggle under pressure. And the biggest of moments you want to touch on now is there's no fuck upwards to the attack where Dominic Cathal been playing. And I think them three problems were all late there for a clear for all to see. And I think after 20 minutes, everyone could think it's going to be a long like this. Unless kind of maybe they got that golf to set piece, but they'd have something to hang on to. Like we saw where Arsenal went, they've got a lead to hang on to and they can just defend and, and, and dog it out. But if they kind of got to, you know, if it's even keel or some, you know, a bit of a 50-50 game, Everton probably will end up on the back foot at some point. And I think that was what we saw last night. It was very much a, a case of everything that we probably spoke about at length and we've all written about at length so far this season was laid bare in 90 minutes of lack of attacker options, you know, struggles to keep the ball, you know, how many misplaced passes, how many times they haven't given the ball away cheaply. And then the biggest problem of all is, like I say, you know, a back four that is struggling and when comes under pressure, seems to crumble quite quite easy, which I think is quite alarming. Because like I say, to start the season, you lose two earlier. That was a real strong point of Everton and it was seen as, well, they fixed one problem at you know, one end. Now they've got to you know, try to fix two there. Now they're back with two massive problems at these ends of the pitch. But I just want to ask you, Joe, because obviously I almost felt last night that the big news of the night, unless Everton would have won, came when team news dropped at 7 o'clock because obviously Dominic Calvert-Lewin was described by Sean Dice touching goal on Friday, which I think we all presumed pretty much meant he wasn't going to be risked given you know, his, the injury problems he's had over the last 17, 18 months. But if we saw last night, then Everton could be in for a struggle if Dominic Calvert-Lewin isn't fit. I think we all know now that they are in for a struggle if Dominic Calvert-Lewin isn't fit. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's no it's a criticism of Alex Sims. You know, no, I mean, he's answered, he, you know, this not been else. Yeah, of course not. Like, you know, he's, he's a young, he's an academy, academy graduate who's, who's come in. And I think even, you know, even when he was brought back at the beginning of, well, at the end of the seven, but from Sunderland, you know, the word was, this isn't with a serious intent to use him. This is kind of almost a, this is something that you know, we're not having a player lined up immediately. It's an extra body that Edison can get in. It's another striker. It's just it's just another person in the squad that might bring a little bit more competition for places. You know, might just help the unit adapt a little bit more just while they wait for the signs to come in. Obviously, those signs never materialised. I was an advocate starting Ellis Sims yesterday because I thought the bearing in mind how little time. Everton had, or Sean Dyche had at Everton, you know, I thought almost he had to approach Liverpool in the game. Uh, you want to try and change as little as possible. And Sims for Calvert-Lewin was the easiest route to keep in the 4-5-1 and everything else that worked so well in its after the same. Particularly as it was again against another team that, let's be honest, are better than Everton. You know, comfortably better than Everton if they perform even with the injuries that they have. So Everton are getting underdogs for the second week in a row. And that's not to say that Sims is a similar profile to, to Dominic Calvert-Lewin because he's not. You know, he's, he's a different type of striker. But he is more of a physical presence than the other options, which are Damari Braid or Neil Mope. And the hope is obviously that he'd occupy the centre-backs a little bit more than he, than he did. Obviously, he struggled to do so. But again, like we've already said, he, he, he was isolated by, yeah, as a, as a result of, of, of Liverpool's just wider dominance in the game. But yeah, I mean, it was a slight surprise because that was always going to be the question. If Calvert-Lewin isn't around, is it going to be Mopé? Is it going to be Gray? Is it going to be Sims? Or is it going to be a formation change? 
you know, I, I don't have any criticism for Dice for doing what he did. I, I think that was the, I think that was the most sensible option that he had. But let's be honest, he has very, very few options, you know, which is a damning indictment of, you know, both Everton's preparation going into this season, but in particular the January transfer window. You know, it's another problem that Dice has to manage that he hasn't created. He's, he's inherited it. You know, what a surprise when the team news dropped to see Sims in there. And it looks increasingly like if Everton are going to stay up this season, well, what? It looks increasingly like Sims are going to have a role to play this season, that because even big, if bigger one that was imagined. Yeah, yeah, a bigger one that was imagined because Evan just don't have the options to not use him, even if it's just to rotate every now and then or just spring off the bench for the final ten minutes. In most games, they stumble across a different formula that works. That's obviously a, a massive concern because you're asking, you know, an academy graduate who scored goals. You know, he clearly knows what the back of the net is, but there's a big difference between scoring goals in the Championship, scoring goals in, in the Scottish Premier League than there is in the Premiership, particularly for a side that isn't an effective attacking unit anyway. It's not as if this is a team that is creating chance after chance after chance of Dominic Calvert-Lewin to put away when he's there. The reality is even when he is there, they struggle to do so. And what attacking threat they do have revolves around the role that Dominic Calvert-Lewin plays. You know, it's not a it's not a functioning system where if you replace the the target you know, the man up top the chances are still created. Calvin Lewin is part of that thing. So yeah, or Evan almost needs to have a completely different machine. Now they almost need to rebuild it. This is going to be this is clearly going to be the biggest task for Sean Dyche to try and work out how to make that Everton side a goal threat without Dominic Calvert Lewin being a consistent part of it and without just exposing Everton in the way that they are exposed when you take players out the centre of the field, out the centre of defence, and when you try and attack more because you know, we see it all last night, Everton just don't have the capacity to to deal with counter-attacks, basically, to lose the ball at the top end of the pitch and defend you know, through the transition. They just don't seem capable of doing it. So, yeah, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I think I don't think that Sims starting is as damning an indictment on Neil Mope as some people have suggested because I think in a very short period of time and given the circumstances, how short a period of time Daesh has been there, it might have just been the most sensible change. And now he might go, right, okay, how do I get Mope involved because 4 5 one isn't going to work in this way. Um, but clearly, yeah, he's not gone Mope, he's... My streets and streets ahead of my second, my second best striker, I think Albert Lewin, and therefore walks into the team, really. So, yeah, how that unfolds is going to be fascinating. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Chris, we often say a word can come back to about someone, yeah. but the words are far appreciated to Josh Bale, Jordan, and interview with you know, Everton fans, they look at the final in which he, you know, openly missed the signings, the fall, and bring one in. They didn't. And the reality of not doing that, getting a deal over the line in January, come back to haunt last night. You know, I've seen it already. I've really, <clears throat> okay, the, the first game out of the way with Carver Lewin. And to be fair, the Arsenal game was actually one of the few games where Carver Lewin did have a lot of chances come his way. Probably had a hat trick on, on another day. But as Joe said, the system set up to get the best out of Carver Lewin. And 
yeah, it, it seems like uh, we've said this before, and we call a total dereliction of um, duty that um, they were able to get anyone through the door. Especially, we know that they were trying. Charles Dyche himself says they were trying. He was trying when he came in right at the end of the window, and there's the whole business with Dan Jewett and Tottenham getting them from under Everton's nose with the hijacking of the deal. But I, I just don't understand how you know you've got to have more than one a couple of irons in the fire. Kevin Fellwell spoke about this um, um, publicly, but we know whenever we're out in Australia, he stayed back in the UK and he understand that uh, he was, you know, working on deals, stuff, stuff like that. So to come out the January transfer window with nobody, and indeed be weak, you know, when, when Anthony Gordon was sold, it was almost like, well, this is good business because the understanding would be that the money would be ploughed back into the squad for the attacking options, which were obvious that they needed. But yeah, that's it's a real mess that they find themselves in because unfortunately Dominic Carver-Lewin 18 months of injury problems can't be depended on to have a, a, a run of games hopefully he can but you, know, you, you certainly won't be betting your mortgage on that as we've discussed many a time Neil Mopé totally different type of striker Sims different again but probably more like Calvert-Lewin because of his physicality and the, uh, uh, the way his body is compared to Mopé who's a very small striker but I just wonder, maybe getting ahead of ourselves, it might be one for the next prod ahead of Leeds United. But how it, it um, as Sims played as part of the two when he's been out on loan. So, and we know that obviously Dyche went with 4 4 2 for a long time at Burley. It might be that Sims and Mope ends up being a, a combination if Calvert was not fit, or somebody else coming into the mix, whether it's Damari Gray going up from a white up top. But, um, yeah, it's it, 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 it's um, it's a chronic problem given that Everton of what they they scored more than one goal twice all season. Crystal Palace and Southampton away. It's it, it's a big big con- concern, you know. If, if they do go down and um, has to be still has to be a, a realistic possibility because of these problems at the top end of the field. Okay, we talked about defensive problems, but you know, primarily it will be the attacking problems, the the, the lack of goals, and the fact that that obvious need to bring in forward-thinking players in January just never um, materialised. Joe, do you, do you think it's almost wrong to suggest that the outcome of Everton's season and where they finish up, you know, where they stay up or they go down, is almost no reliance on how many games they can get from the car that on the pitch and playing? Because from what we've seen so far, Ralph and, you know, Everton is a side of struggle. And last night we saw, you know, that they've offered very little attendance for attacking point of view with Don Rao, Don Rao, but the you know, guy Neville was quite critical last night, so, well, do you that to both games, I don't really have seen this, but he basically said, you know, it feels like they've, they've for long been, say, wait until Don Rao gets back fit, and he basically said if they wait any longer, they're going to get relegated. It, it was a pretty scathing, but, it, you know, I never know in a position where it's all on Don Rao, but they're coming back to, to, to keep them up. I don't, I don't think, I don't think they are, but I think, to not be in that position, there needs to be a little bit of a maturity and acknowledgement of the, of the situations it currently is. You know, I asked Sean Dyche last last night, you know, after the game about the Dominic Calvert-Lewin scenario, and you know, whilst he didn't give a particularly in-depth assessment, what he did say, but he made it clear that the, the Dominic's working really hard. Like I don't, I think it's important that we stress under no circumstances we suggested. Anything other than the fact that he wants to be out there fully fit and playing and 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 and, and contributing to Everton's season, but he said that you know he effectively said it's there's there's a, a dual approach here because there's the one thing uh, there's the one issue of helping him overcome his current issue, which is a hamstring injury. Well, I mean he had a hamstring injury that 
you know, the back end of October, you know, going into November. I mean, that's, that's that was one of the the three problems yeah, that, 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 that kept him out of the Australia tour. Whether it's the same having stream or what, I don't know. But clearly, that's an issue. But he said the second issue that they're competing with is trying to get him genuinely fit. Now, his word genuinely fit so that his body doesn't keep breaking down. Well, I mean, if if it's a seriousness requiring that approach, and the reality is that it's only going to, it needs time. It needs time to, to, to heal his body. He will need time to get to fully speed. He'll be, need time to build up a resilience if it isn't already there in his body. So, you know, I think the, you know, the hope, the hope was when the team news dropped that it's a case of, you know, maybe he's 80% fit for Anfield, but they don't want to risk it because they know they're going to be up against it. Leeds is the big game. We'll keep him back for that. And then he can be even, you know, 95% for Leeds. And that's a bigger game for, for Everton in the context of their season. But given his comments after the, after the match, really, it looks like it's just going to be an ongoing issue with, with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. If that's going to be the case, then what they can't do is they can't allow themselves to get into a situation where it felt like Frank Lampard got into, where it's almost like he'll be back for the next one. He'll be back for the next one. He'll be back for the next one. And it felt almost at times like, and I think this was one of the reasons that Neil Mope struggled so much um, in the first half of the season. Not that he's doing any better now, but I think it was, it almost felt like every every Monday they'd start the week thinking Calvin was going to be back on Saturday, mm-hmm. so we'll prepare for that. And then they'd get to Thursday and they'd be like, oh, he's not back. But we haven't got time to try anything different. So we're going to play how we would have played with with with, with Carl Lewin, but we're going to put on top, and that's never going to work. So I, I I don't think that Everton's season is dependent on what they get out of Dominic Calvert Lewin if what Deitch now does is come away from this and goes, right, let's think seriously about what Everton's most effective way to be a goal threat is without him. Everton need to resort to plan B now, and anything they get out of Calvert-Lewin has to be a bonus. You know, unless he was unless he was playing down Calvert-Lewin's fitness more to try and trick leads or something like that, perhaps maybe. You know, if it if if we take his words at face value, then Dominic Calvert-Lewin is going to be on off in terms of availability for you know for for weeks and possibly months. Everton can't afford to put false hope in, in in his return or some sort of miracle cure or comeback. They have to work or they have to find a way to be able to score goals. And yeah, that might mean well that if you take Dominic Alvaluna, they can't play four five one. They can't play how they played against Arsenal without a target man up front. You know, they have to find a way then to yeah, either you know, they had they basically have to find a partnership somehow between probably Damari Bray, Neil Mopay, and um, and Ellis Sims. They have to find a partnership there that, that that works. They have to find something that can help get Edson up the pitch and not leave them vulnerable and exposed in the middle and defensively, which it feels like is an inevitable prospect of taking an extra body out of the centre midfield or centre defence. You know, because it's always been five in one of those areas under Dyche or Lampard. So it's almost like you know it's trying to find the lesser evil. Really, what's what's the best? How can Everton? What's the best way of reducing Everton's already frail defensive machine um, to help bolster a completely failing attacking machine? And if they start thinking about that now, then maybe they'll stumble across a solution. 
But I think two things are clear. One is it would be wrong now to place all their hopes in Dominic Calvert-Lewin as much as we'd like to and love to see him back and we know how good he is and can be. And the other thing is, as effective as they are, they, you Emerson are going to stay up by solely by deep in swinging corners to James Sarkovsky at that post. You know, it worked against Arsenal, very nearly worked against Liverpool. And had that gone in, we'd be looking at a very, very different game. It'd be an Evan side with something to hold on to again. It'd be a Liverpool side that, you know, losing at home in, in a bad run of form and, you know, with an hour to try and get back into the game. But but having said that, as I wrote in my match report, it would be wrong to suggest that Everton lost the result. Evan's defeat last night was a result of five margins between that hitting the post and going in because really they were second best by a mile. And that needs to be acknowledged because if it's not acknowledged, then they can't fit, begin to fix the problems that they need to fix before upcoming games. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Because we saw with Rafa Benitez, Everton struggled to create chances. We saw with Frank Lampard, Everton struggled to create chances. And now under Sean Dyche, Ralph Lauda Calvo, they were struggling to create chances. Yeah. Is setting Everton up to attack and create chances almost become really impossible job? Well, um, because statistically, yeah. like, yeah. you know, three managers now who, who, who essentially looking at going, they've all had the same problem, the same stumble and block, and not one of them, okay, with the exception of maybe Arthur, because that's actually had a fitting for Harry and Dominic Calvert for an hour. But <laughs> with the exception of that, you know, Everton, they, they've all kind of mm. almost fell on the sword, but the two previous yeah. fell on the sword because of it. Well, we've got to remember, of course, that um, we're talking about Dominic Calvert Lewin and being the pivotal to the season. Even when he's been fit, Dominic Calvert Lewin's only scored one goal all season. Yeah. And same with Neil Mope as well. But given that Calvert Lewin is the striker who only a couple of seasons ago now <laughs> got over 20 in all comps, whatever, and you get like 16 a year before that, something like that. Uh, you know, I think he was, he was the main man. He was a prolific striker, got into the England team. Okay, it's been stop start for him, and it's been difficult. But you know, you want to say is it one in twelve, something like that this season? So even when they've got him on the pitch, okay, he's not been fitting by him, but he's only got that goal against Crystal Palace to to to, to show for the, um, his efforts. And like I said, he actually missed a hat trick of good chances against Arsenal. Um, it's, uh, it's it's not a, an impossible task, but it. Given, as you said, those struggles under three successive, well, certainly two, and then Deitch came in, that the managers there, I mean, he'd, even under Ancelotti before that, they, they, they weren't exactly prolific. I don't know what the figures are off the top of my head, but I seem to remember a lot of those games in lockdown clinging on for unconvincing mm-hmm. 1 0 wins, and that was on good days. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's, it's, obvi- it's obvious, really, and it's not just the centre forward, it's, it's, it's those wide areas and. Um, that was one of the things with, with Anthony Gordon at the start of the season. It was the hope that he would increase those numbers in terms of both goals um, and assists. Uh, McNeil showing that he is a, um, a threat on his day, as he was with the assist against um, Arsenal from, from the corner kick. But Gray's different again. He don't seem to get a lot of crosses from East or taking people on. But yeah, it's just not a lot of goals on this side. And that's why it was, it was so blindingly obvious See, I mean, you could have probably given somebody a staff sheet to look at and not even know much about football. Say, well, what, well, does this team need improving in January? That, that those striker, when I say strikers, those attacking mind players, you probably needed at least just before Gordon was sold, a centre forward and a winger. I mean, that seemed obvious. So 
yeah, there's a, there's not many t- goals on his teams, even less than last season. Obviously, Charleston there and the goals he scored, particularly in big moments, take that out the side. And it's but it's blindly obvious. So can't go as far as saying this is it's impossible, but you're really struggling to have the tools there for whichever manager it is to, to do the job effectively. Jolin, got to try and you know, finish on a positive and <laughs> a bit bit more of a, a, a an upbeat for for people listening. You know, today on the back of Monday's two 0 defeat, I suppose the real positives, well, real positives, because suppose we can't be the positives, but the plus points look from last night. It was only Sean Dyche's second game in charge. And also Everton's season and bits of stuff was never going to be defined by one night and outfield, was it? No, no. And then again, just, just to add to that, Dyche made the point he wasn't making flippantly. It's a very valid point that I think we all would have taken three points from these two games. So Everton in a better position than many of us expected and probably a better position than most of us hoped was realistic going into this. I think yeah, two draws, as I say, we would have taken. Some might even have taken one draw. But yeah, you know, it's... It's early days for Deitch, and the pro. Yeah, he is a an intelligent manager, despite what some of his critics say. The problems are clear, so they can. Yeah, there can't be any doubt amongst his coaching team what it is that they're trying to solve, and that simplicity of of, of the situation might help because, as I say, it's not like we're looking for a mystery illness or something like that. Everyone knows exactly where the problems are. Um, you know, I think maybe another positive is he, and I think he, I think he, he wanted to get back into the game, but it felt like there was a degree of experimentation in the final half an hour. Like, you know, Tom Davis came onto the pitch, Neil Mope came onto the pitch, obviously Damari Gray did as well. So he has now looked at all of Everton's attacking options. And obviously with the core, I haven't got into the in, into the side of his first two games, most of the midfield options. So he will clearly have a greater awareness of the of, of the capabilities and the limitations of this Everton side, having seen those players in action. Again, you know, he made reference to it after in fairness, he created a good chance for Tom Davis at the end. It was a lovely ball from Awobi. Davis probably should have done well. And should have done better with the back post of his header, and that could have made it in the last ten minutes. So even, even, even I suppose with all like you could maybe argue that whilst this team can't put too much emphasis on it, Evan did nearly take the lead in that game. It would have been a different game. They did nearly get back into that game in the last ten minutes. Maybe with a few tweaks and you know against worse sides, they could be could be more effective. But what they have to avoid doing now against Leeds is we've seen it with Leicester. We've seen it with Bournemouth, we've seen it with Wolves, we've seen it with Southampton. Now we've seen it with Liverpool. You know, this season, and certainly since October from October onwards, you know, Everton have been the tonic to other teams this season, or at least a temporary reprieve, mm-hmm. because in fairness, Southampton and Bournemouth have both struggled outside of those games against Everton. But, you know, too often teams in terrible, terrible runs of form are playing Everton and taking three points off them. Leads to the terrible run of form coming into Saturday. I think you can't afford to give somebody else a boost. Be just to finish. That's important, isn't it? Everton can't afford to be sulking down the dump. So they've got to pick themselves up, prepare right, go again on Saturday. What is it? Which we will touch on yeah. the rubble at the end of the week. But it is an absolute huge game. It was big already, but after last night's results, it's got even bigger. Yeah, so as Joe said, you know, amongst all those teams getting picked me up, sir. So- 
Nathan Jones's finest hour or the only hour, really. I mean, the way he was holding court uh, after that one uh, at Goodison Park. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was always the way. I mean, it's not nice to say, but it's, you know, it's realistic now in terms of the Merseyside derby, not the in Everton's um, season. But yeah, we knew all along that Leeds United was always going to be um, the huge one. Um, they dig back to the the drawing board for, for Dice, and I'm, I'm sure it'd be interesting. Like, say, we'll go, we'll go into this in the pre league United pod, but it probably um, be changes in, in the way that the, sh- the, the shape of the team because you know, against Arsenal, Liverpool, two games Everton very much the underdog, whereas this one they'll be expected to be on, on the um, the front foot. And um, I, I'm just glad it, um, it's back at Goodison, gents. I think we will leave things there. We, of course, we'll be back on Friday to review Sean Dyche's pre Leeds United press conference and look ahead to that huge game of goods on Saturday. But for now, lads, thank you very much for joining me. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.